Blog Talk Radio.
grandmother killed my great-great-grandfather. And your white-great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather. And your white-grandfather raped my grandmother. And your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Once again, no 
We're going to discuss Jesus' theme and many other subjects and topics that is having an impact on our people, Mother Africa, the African diaspora, and the world in general. So come and join us. So at this point in time, like always, you know how we get started with our party by introducing you to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. At this point in time, we'd like to welcome Brother Haki, wish him a happy New Year, and welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Haki. Brother Africa, happy New Year to you and to the panelists and to the world at large. My name is Haiki Jumafi Mishoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness. And Brother Africa, you know my thing is institution building. But I've got to tell you, uh, one of the things I think is important that we disclose is that when we start talking about this, this question in terms of false sciences, we have to understand historically false sciences have been used to justify the oppression of African people. It was called dreptomania. Now, here's the thing. Dreptomania was all designed to, in fact, uh, indict African people by, by, by deeming the system, you know, uh, not a participant in terms of the kind of oppression that debilitates or makes it very difficult pe- African people to navigate in the society. So this attempt in terms of blaming African people is becoming much, much more sophisticated. And so the continuation of dreptomania continues. And I want people to listen very carefully to what I have to say in terms of dreptomania because it has very much relevance in the 21st century. But even Brother Africa, check this out. Between 1793 and 1863, Samuel Cartwright, medical doctor, coined the medical term dreptomania. Dreptomania refers to the medical condition of enslaved Africans who fled captivity seeking freedom. Implications were Africans had ob- obtained the best possible living standards afforded Africans in the world, and, all, and any repudiation of food scraps, tattered clothing, or humiliation were seen as a benefit to enslaved Africans, given the Africans' origin and lack of civilization. Interestingly, the underlying supposition of dreptomania, alluding, alluding to the blessings of Africans living in a civilized society and the gratitude Africans should exhibit daily, suggests a pension. Africans should subvert their humanity while negating their own self-interest, a feat antithetical to human existence. While dreptomania has long been discredited, remnants of this term persist today. Today, elements of dreptomania are disguised in attitudes alluding, alluding to the inherent lack of worth affiliated with all things African. Attitudes are expressed condemning any and all expressions seeking empowerment of the African masses. Proponents of such platitudes reject any premise. Pursuit of African empowerment contains any legitimacy. From scholarly discussion around critical race theory to established historical debate represented by the 1619 Project, rejection of such plat- platforms seeks to establish a narrative which suggests African people have nothing to say about blatant racism and the inequality it imbues. Now, one would think, under congenial circumstances, the managed, tranquil discussions required for an orderly discussion should be welcomed. Unlike mass protests encased in emotion, the opportunity for, for discourse decreases where passions are inflamed, bringing out the worst in behavior. Contrast with more stylized, formal debate, why would such a platform be dismissed by the elite as unimportant, even though issues of concern to African people have persisted for centuries? Issues of high visibility ranging from structuralized poverty where African families earn 16 cents on the dollar through health disparities in heart disease, strokes, cancer, asthma, pneumonia, diabetes, and kidney disease. 
death of African women giving birth at a rate of 70 per 100,000 live births, the highest in the U.S., to, to infant mortality among African births four times the national average seems intractable. Leading in all medical statistical categories impacting economic standing, the urgency among African people to address these quality of life disparities is axiomatic given the devastating impact of leading all categories of, categories of catastrophic illnesses endured by African people. Unfortunately, unconscious and in some instances conscious motivation increasingly is being resurrected by powerful right-wing extremists intent on obscuring the level of pain calculated to cripple African people. From this perspective, issues of dreptomania legacy cannot be easily dismissed. Elite's notions of dismissing the African struggle legitimacy does not just materialize in terms of ritual or condescending speech toward Africans, but policy that restricts speech by African people, but also challenges African speech as well. Under Executive Order 13933, former President Trump directed former Department of Homeland Security Chief Chad Wolf to amass secret dossier, dossiers on protests of participating in George Floyd's protests, focused specifically on black identity extremists or those Africans who understand systematic oppression and Antifa whites opposed to fascism. The intent was to foment fear by government so as to discourage participation in future protests seeking African empowerment against police terror. While this government strategy effectiveness has to be evaluated over a longer span of time, more immediate strategy was needed to convey a, a definitive sense of African powerlessness and a narrative that definitively undermines African self-interest. By, by ingeniously implying African benefit from oppressive policy and undermining any claims of self-interest among African people depicted as merely claims of malcontents calling attention to themselves, racial oppression would find legitimacy. Heeding the call to weaken the veracity of African counter strategies, embracing self-interest to counter racist strategies was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Taking the lead of conservative think tanks, DeSantis realized the best way to delegitimize African struggles was to remove the history that served as the catalyst that provides clarity on the necessity of African resistance in a hostile country. DeSantis would eliminate African history, then pass laws that prohibited political discourse by limiting what universities and or colleges could teach about racism or historical events. Called the Individual Freedom, Individual Freedom Act, the policy would proscribe any information that causes feelings of guilt, psychological distress, or anxiety pertaining to discussions around ethnicity, national origin, or skin color. Ironically, under this rubric, injustices inflicted upon African people past and present would, would disappear and without historical context, any justification inflicted on African people would be explained as individual effect, not systematic bias, and the role of institutional bias. For example, blatant injustice could be hidden easily. In the case of Treasury Secretary Stephen Lucen under Trump, he was elevated to the partnership of Golden Sachs over the more qualified African Kevin Ingram. Ingram, a holder of an MBA, Master's of Business Administration, and engineering degree from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, was denied the position because Mnuchin's father was an insider at Goldman Sachs. Under DeSanto's policy, this injustice would not be discussed because of the racial implications and the power dynamics of large corporations' disregard for meritocracy or the best man for the, be or the, best man for the job. And the way it can be argued by many right-wingers like DeSantis, Ingram was fortunate to work there in the first place, and failing to become partner is, is insignificant setback given his, he's fortunate to be there at all. Now, we should not necessarily attribute the reemergence of dreptomania to racism totally. 
Dr. Lisa Barry's concept, allostasis, has some interesting implications for the historical precedent. According to allostasis, the metabolic strain on the human brain is determined by the familiarity of the group and the familiarity of situations. The concept goes, the human brain is uniquely situated to act proficiently toward those groups you know or identify with. From, for those perceived as strangers, the energy to the brain requires to access possible scenarios is too stressful, compelling the brain to be disinterested. Superimposed on this propensity, Dr. Shuk Vinda, Obi, neuroscientist, asserts powerful people behave like they have power. Now, when we put these two factors together, the indifference exhibited by many elites towards the oppressed is easy to theorize. Social, social phenomenon that undermines African existence thus requires some familiarity to stimulate thought and without familiarity on some level, the ability to even acknowledge a problem or blocked opportunities even exist may be compromised. If this be the case, engaging those who are predisposed biochemically to devalue that which they are not familiar seems all the more imperative the necessity of Africans to delve more deeply into the systematic abyss we must navigate. This is a particularly relevant in the age of expanding fascism and Christian nationalism where the line between right and wrong is blurred. It does not take great insight to conclude in a segregated society this segregation, in addition to an inability to empathize, serves as a perfect social condition for the spread of dreptomania 2.0 in the 21st century America. And with that, Brother Africa, I will conclude. Thank you, Brother Hackney. Next, we'll make our transition to Brother Anthony. We'd like to say Happy New Year to you, Brother Anthony, and welcome to Africa on the Move. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Following Brother Anthony, we will bring in Brother Moses, and we would like to say Happy New Year to Brother Moses, and we would like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Move as a representative of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Afro, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. Happy New Year, especially to the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that for Government mouth say tongue is his messenger. Women hold up half the sky. They're for the Equal Rights Amendment. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice in our vote. The struggle is continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. And this, this upcoming Saturday, the 13th of January, Will be a demonstration in D.C. at the Met- at 1600 Constitution Avenue, 1 p.m. 
on the mole in support of the Palestinian people and against the Israeli-U.S. war machine. We hope to see your face in the place. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. This is from Brother Moses. We will make a transition to Sister Eleanor. Wish her a happy New Year, and we'll welcome her as well to Africa on the Move, which also she is a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Cuban Revolution. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa. To uh, my fellow panelists and to our listening audience in the United States and abroad, Happy New Year to everyone and happy belated birthday to you, Brother Anthony. And thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time, we're going to take a uh, concert break. You want to warm me up a little bit? in terms of understanding the value of culture. And at this point in time, we're going to take our break. But when we come back, we want to invite you to join us at 323-679-0841 as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa, and you're listening to Africa on the Move.
church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well. Grandma's hands used to issue out a warning. She'd say, Scotty, why you run so fast? Might fall on a piece of glass. Might be snakes there in that grass. Grandma's hands.
the next difficulty and African program uh, a tool that can be very valuable to our people liberation and yours. So come and join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. And if pastors are joining us, listening to us, you also can help us feel. We ask you for your support. And you can send a generous gift to Africa on the Moon. And you can do that in two ways. You can cash up us at dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, or small b. Or if you use Zelle, you can use Zelle to Africa Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. We are doing more work, expanding our reach, and we need your support. So please support us, and we'd like to thank you again for allowing us to come to your home this evening and listening to Southern Africa and Africa on the Move. So at this point in time, you know, just starting. Continue our party. We're going to our first segment, which is what's going on in your world and the community. That's right. What's going on in your world and the community? And if you'd like to call in, you can do that again. By sharing with us what's going on in your world and the community by dialing 323-679-0841. Hit 1, and we will not be last for a number. So let's continue to go forward with our Baptist novel by bringing in Brother Haki. And we raised the question for 2024, Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, the more things change, the more it remain the same. Uh, recently there was an article released by the Central Broadcasting Station. It's very, very interesting. It, it uh, entails a situation in, in Florida in which uh, the level of, of fascism is just is off the charts. But in any event, listen to this. A bill proposed in Miami-Dade County would eliminate ability to investigate police misconduct. House Bill 601, written by Wayman Duggan of Jacksonville, aims to reduce scrutiny of police and law enforcement, making it easy to conceal police misconduct. Obviously, the unintended or intended consequences, according to observers, will be an increase in police misconduct, adverse impact in marginalized and poor communities. In addition, the bill aims to make it easier to hire police. Making it easier to hire police easier is just one of two scenarios. One, hire police will have been terminated for bad conduct from other departments, or two, suspension of pivotal background checks and or, social, me, or psychological checks or tests that shows that slows the process of hiring. Interestingly, uh, according to legal observers in Miami-Dade, the panel responsible for investigating police misconduct has investigated only one complaint in three years. The director of the review panel, uh, Ursula Price, stated only recently has the panel been allotted the resources it needs to function. The primary holdup undermining the panel's ability to function over three years, according to the director, was the ability to find qualified panel members. Qualified panel members seems a nebulous term or a euphemism for finding individuals for the pan- review panel who are definitively pro-police, pro- pro- right or wrong. This speculation is buttressed by the fact Miami-Dade Police Department has demonstrated immense opposition to review panels even when the police actions were questionable. The, and an article states one such incident occurred during a dispute between a car rental employee and a customer. The customer alleges the police searched him without 
probable cause to do so, uh, and the county, not the city, concurred in the legal search had taken place. Despite the review panel petition alleging a violation of man's civil rights, police officials simply ignored their findings by refusing to issue subpoena or discipline the police, the police involved. Ironically, review panels can only make recommendations if the police choose such complaints are summarily dismissed. In other words, police misconduct is vociferously protected by police officials, thus protecting the ethical police who should be terminated. Now, if we think police brutality we end, we should seriously think again. This is a classic example in terms of not only uh, a problem in terms of police overreach, but a kind of insensitivity toward the community. So clearly, we can anticipate an increase in terms of police brutality as these kind of measures make their way throughout the country. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Akeem. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Can you hear me, Brother Anthony? What's going on in your world and the community? Brother Anthony. Okay, we can move on. We have some problems with Brother Anthony. And we can go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um, I think, you know, we have to recognize the United Front Against Fascism, all democratically-minded people are in a struggle to bring about a new democracy, and we are supported by socialists and communists, and uh, we're in the United Front Against Fascism. And so Donald Trump is the face of fascism in the U.S. of A., along with all the cronies um, who have... Who've, uh, Align themselves with the right wing Make America Great Again movement. Uh, meanwhile, you know we we have to have our own agenda. We have to have our own offensive plan of action of how we're going to bring about a new day. And um, to, in my in my world, that includes the electoral process and. Uh, we have to struggle to to get leadership that is that is conscious and is interested in the working class and pursuing the interests of the working class. And so we have to continue to organize and organize and organize as an independent movement. And uh, that's the main thing that's going in my world today. Uh, revolution is the solution. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We're going to make a transition to Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world in the community? Sister Eleanor. ProPublica has um, introduced everyone to a a database called, a new tool called Supreme Court Connection, which allows you to search an interactive database for organizations and people who have paid Supreme Court justices, uh, reimbursed them for travel, given them gifts, and more. And that's something really fascinating. But the strange thing about the database, it can only report what the justices themselves report. Uh, It can only cover... Uh, what the justices have reported, uh, since there are no requirements per se that they report anything. 
um, with the upcoming uh, issue with Donald Trump and the Supreme Court having picked up uh, Donald Trump's case, uh, I really feel uh, that uh, Clarence Thomas should recuse himself simply because of his wife Jenny's involvement in the big lie and helping Trump uh, try to steal the election and the the, uh, democracy. The big issue now, as uh, Brother Moses and the other panelists have said, is fascism. And uh, it's one thing to be capitalist, imperialist, and fascism, where uh, we've seen across the nation uh, more than 30 states uh, change the voting rights of everyday citizens, of Africans and of indigenous people in particular. And uh, we see that in the nation's capital, uh, with the change in work since COVID, where there's more virtual work, uh, Mayor Muriel Bowser has decided to offer developers an opportunity to take over the downtown office buildings and convert them to, quote, luxury housing with no um, affordable housing component. And people say, well, what is affordable housing? Well, we call it workforce housing. That's where uh, workers who work in supermarkets, who in FedEx, who uh, work for Amazon, who do everyday jobs uh, that are so vital to our society are uh, are those uh, that's our workforce, and there will be none created. We have to wonder with certain climatic conditions, if there's a serious snowstorm or something like that, who will live in the area to open the stores, open the grocery stores. But it's a lot going on. Capitalism is uh, continuing to survive on the backs of a surplus labor society. And uh, meanwhile, benefits such as SNAP and housing requirements, uh, federal government housing requirements are becoming stricter and stricter. So if you're a convicted uh, developer, you're okay to rent to anyone. If you are a convicted uh, poor person, you're not allowed to live in government housing most often. So there's a great contradiction that's surrounding the issue of housing, um, reporting uh, gifts and things from our uh, Supreme Court. uh, 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 It's it's a, a very strange time in the United States. And this is an election year for much of the world in addition to the United States. I continue to stand in solidarity with the Palestinians as the genocide, the Israeli genocide, continues to rage on. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Panelists, 
I've been thinking about some, I guess it could be it's theoretical. It, it, it also it has a material base and some it says practical. I don't know. But I'm thinking about some things for 2028 to try to maybe get our people or make us become more responsible to create a climate where if our people say they are free, then they will act free. Brother Hakeem, that's the panel. The question is this. If you are free, my assumption is you will act free. Your response to that, Brother Hakeem? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, if you're free, it's, uh, in fact, you would act free. But I think the reality is that uh, you know, African people, for the most part, know we're not free. And certainly in that regard, we somewhat curtail, you know, activities uh, based upon the conditions that we find ourselves in, realizing that, you know, if we don't purport to what is expected of us, then, you know, the consequences could be grave. And so in that regard, I think we do realize that we're not free. And so when we talk about fundamentally things like uh, police brutality, you know, high incarceration rate, uh, 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 mater- uh, uh, maternal deaths, uh, infant mortality deaths, and we talk about all these uh, these very hard issues that adversely impact the African community, then we fundamentally understand that you know, there's something askew. Uh, you know, when we think about statistically, you talk about all of these these social uh, 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 these, these social barometers, you know, indicating you know uh, a, a negative range. Then clearly you you have a you have a suspicion that you know there's something that's not quite right. In that regard, I think even if we don't academically understand in terms of what is really going on in society, we do intuitively, uh, intuitively understand that there's something fundamentally skewed in terms of not only the kind of treatment that we receive, but the outcomes in terms of our uh, everyday lives, you know, in the society. So I think in that regard, I think, Brother Africa, we, we realize that we're not free. In fact, one of the reasons when you talk about in terms of protest, why it's so important to, to protest, because that is a, that is a basis in terms of, you know, acknowledging you know, that, you, that you've had enough and that you're willing to take a stand. The mere fact that most people don't participate in, in, in the protest suggests uh, that they realize that if they participate in a protest, that there are repercussions, repercussions they're not, ready to, they're not ready to deal with. In that regard, they understand that they're not free because if they participate in those, 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 those uh, protests, then they understand that repercussions are not only uh, negative in terms of uh, potentially, you know, being spied upon, but also just in terms of possibility in terms of maybe, you know, employment opportunities, those kind of things. So we're not really free to actually, you know, be ourselves. And so even though we have a constitution in place that says that we have inalienable rights, the bottom line is that those inalienable rights that the constitution speaks of has nothing to do with, with, with poor or working class people, particularly doesn't have anything to do in terms of the oppression of African people. In fact, the constitution sort of uh, supports the oppression of African people. And so even though you have all of these amendments, supposedly in terms of addressing these historical wrongs, the bottom line, given the difference, the separation between the federal and state governments, uh, there's always an out in terms of perpetuating repression against African people. And so in, so in that regard, we're not really free. And so clearly I think that most of our people do understand that. But the bottom line is that, as Malcolm would say, is that we have some choices to make. Uh, and the bottom line is that this oppression that we face is not going anywhere. Either we're going to confront it and deal with it and organize, or we pay the price by inaction. So the choice is ours. But clearly, Brother Africa, you're right. If, in fact, we were free, we'd be much more, I think, much more assertive, much more proactive in terms of addressing systematic wrongs. Yeah, 
Like this Bob Hackney's Bobby Moses, your your response. Stop saying it if we are free you are actually. Your response? You you act free if you're free? Hmm. If um, if you are free, you act free. Yes, Brother Moses. Is that a correct assumption? Right. 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 Um well, you know, they say who he who feels it knows it. And so, you know, I fit the oppression that we feel is very real and it's coming from the state and the military industrial complex and the fact that one percent of the population owns so much of the wealth and that we're richer getting richer and the poor getting poor and we we have a political economy that needs to be changed. And so, you know, we we can't we can't really feel free, um if we are conscious of our, of our situation, um, Harriet Tubman, Tubman said she could have freed more slaves if they knew they were slaves. And so, you know, you know the, the, the question of freedom is a very, very material question, a question of whether you have control of the resources that you need in order to survive and, uh, Food, clothes, and shelter. Do you have health? Do you have education? You know these things, the necessities of life. Do you have access to them? And um, and for the vast majority of the people, we are we are downtrodden, poor, and and uh, not able to get a just proportion appropriation of the resources that this the society provides and so in the political economy we are not able to to um, extract income um, they brought us here for a job and we are working and we're working for our liberation we're working we're working we're working but in terms of income we the capitalists have the money and they are not supporting liberation movements so that's the situation we're faced with. And so freedom is freedom isn't free. Freedom requires responsibility and work and um we have to get about doing it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, Sister Eleanor. If we are free, will we act free? Uh, um, Brother Moses said it well, ditto and brother Haki. We have the highest infant mortality rate in the Western Hemisphere in the capital of the United States. When we have uh, people going without food and living on uh, canned food, we have children who don't know what it is to have a cell phone and they're common. Everyone's using them. We have of four hospitals for over a million people. We have uh, less Sister than Eleanor, uh, 200. Sister Eleanor, what is that relationship to one freedom? Can you, can you be a little more well, clear? If you do not have, if you do not have health care and you do not have resources for access to health care, you do not have access to food. When um, uh, millions of uh, Americans or millions of people are unhoused. That is not freedom, brother. 
that is oppression. And we are an oppressed people, suffering. And uh, as, as Brother Moses said, they bought us here for a job. The problem is they didn't guarantee you a salary. And people are, are not earning livable wages. And they're working their fingers to the bone. This is not only a problem in the heart of the beast in the United States of America. It's all throughout Africa and the uh, southern hemisphere. It's uh, a war against the ruling class and the working class. We're living in terrible conditions that I was uh, attempting to address. Freedom is not about suffering and oppression. It's about intellectual advancement, about protecting Mother Earth, about educating our children, our adults, all of our people, about adequate health care. It's all of those things, and we're lacking in all of them. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haki, as we talk about this new year, and the panelists, this is for all the panelists. I want y'all to think about it and respond to it. There seems to be a continuation of lack of consciousness. If a people or a person is not conscious, can they arrive of freedom? Your response. Lack of consciousness or no consciousness cannot create the conditions for a people or an individual to arrive at the state of freedom? Your response. Well, the obvious question is uh, an unconscious, unconscious person could never arrive at freedom uh, because the problem is that in defining freedom, it, it serves as somewhat of a barometer in terms of where you stand in terms of the flow of the society. Uh, in order to understand what's going on in society, it takes a certain amount of consciousness in terms of doing it. Uh, one of the things we have to appreciate is that this government does a, spend a tremendous amount of money in terms of keeping us distracted, whether we're talking about entertainment, sports, or, or, or disinformation. All this is done specifically to keep us distracted. In other words, they want to reinforce the unconsciousness that exists in, among, among the people in the society. And to that regard, they realize that the unconscious people would never pose any real concerns to the government because they don't realize first and foremost that there is really problems problems to be uh, problems to be resolved and so you see, so we need a certain amount of consciousness in terms of elevating uh you know uh you know uh elevate you know understanding in terms of how the world exists i think one of the things that when we talk about consciousness brother i, I think one of the things is that uh we can we, we we i mean we can't evolve to a consciousness uh but it's a process uh, you have to consciously decide that that's what you want to do. If you want to elevate your consciousness, then you do those kind of things that's going to elevate your consciousness. You read, you research, you study, you discuss, uh, and you elevate your consciousness. Uh, you begin to understand more on a much deeper level. And so that's something that's to come upon us. No government can stop us from becoming conscious, but certainly it can facilitate us being unconscious. And to the extent that we don't recognize the strategies used by this government, in terms of keeping us unconscious, we tend to acquiesce or to play ball with the, with the government, even though we do so to our disadvantage. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, I, I think that, you know, without that consciousness, 
we can't, you know, we, 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 can't, we can't get to where we need to be. I'm minded of, you know, um, uh, Malcolm X in terms of his journeys in prison. You know, it took, it took the, for him to come to the realization, you know, that something fundamentally askewed in terms of how the society is organized. Once he, once he ran into those brothers and brothers with the Nation of Islam who educated him in terms of, you know, the objective reality in terms of the conditions confronting African people in society, he took upon himself to read, to research, and to ask questions, debate, those kind of things to sharpen your insight in terms of what's going on in society. So the bottom line is that if the conditions are right, it's going to encourage a lot of people to become conscious. Uh, but the same token, I do realize that, you know, because there is a dynamic relationship. Uh, the more that the, the conditions are abhorrent, uh, the, the more uh, people are tempted to retreat as opposed to wanting to know. And so the struggle for us is to get people to understand that, you know, we really don't have a choice, that we must understand the reality of what's going on in society, that we must become conscious because their consciousness is going to decide our longevity in society. So, again, you know, I would encourage people clearly, you know, that this, this, this struggle for consciousness, we have to have it because without that consciousness, our, our, our survival in the society becomes problematic. And with that, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, if there are no consciousness, can one arrive at freedom? Arrive at freedom? Joseph response. Well, first of all, let us define consciousness. We're talking about political consciousness, awareness of the government and the systems that that uh, control the resources of society and make the rules. And uh, it's our awareness of this this system of this of the people who do this to us and this is what we call consciousness how aware are we and and the real consciousness is is when we are aware of of, of how how the system works and how it functions and what we need to do is to stop it until we get to that kind of consciousness we can't really say we have consciousness because we're not really truly aware of what's going on. And um, that's what Harriet Truman means when she says they knew they were slaves. They're just not aware. And um, they don't have the political consciousness to understand their oppression and how they're being oppressed and what they can do to stop it if there is another world possible. And so, you know, without information, they say you can't think. And so we need to get truth truth and and uh and facts that are that are that are relevant to the struggle and and what we need to know in order to overcome and so you know if we're in an information war and uh a lot of disinformation is going around to keep us unconscious like they said there's sports and there's news and there's entertainment uh all all of it even the news on on the corporate media is is there to distract us to give us misinformation and to not allow us to get to the root of the problem it's giving us surface information just describing some problems here and there but never getting to the root of the problem which is this capitalist military industrial complex and uh, the political economy of capitalism, and we need a, a new world and a new way of doing things. 
Thank you. I'll leave it right there. Thank you, Brother Lotus, Sister Eleanor. While consciousness can one arrive at the state of freedom, your response. Consciousness, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, Brother Africa. The same question, Sister Eleanor, of all of us panelists, the same question. While consciousness can one arrive at the state of freedom? Of course not, Brother Africa. Um, um, Brother Moses said it very clearly. Unless you understand how the state works and how the economy works and and who makes the rules, how they're made, what rules are being made, uh, we you don't stand a chance. Um, there's so much propaganda. Fox News, for example, is called News Entertainment. There's no truth in journalism. We find ourselves... Uh, trying to incarcerate and legitimate journalism. Um, and so without information, without education, without organization, uh, we cannot be free. It's, it's, a, it's an ongoing struggle. Thank you, my sister. And for the last question for this segment, what's going on in the community? Panelists, I would like to get your response on these narratives that talk about and emphasize and highlight the need for us to struggle more around this question of being free or not being free. And I'll give you two examples, and I'd like for each one of y'all just to extrapolate on it. This last year or year before when we dealt with this uh, virus, the COVID virus, many of our people were, and many people were put in a position to either you're forced to take the shot or you don't work. That really put us in a real, put many people in an awkward position of truly being free in terms of making decisions based upon our own interests. And we see a, a similar situation today around this Palestine-Israel um, conflict. When you talk about speaking to power to truth and doing what's right, and you know what is right, if you choose to be right and understand that this process that is going on against the Palestinian people is a genocidal process of killing, you often face the risk of your employees who might have a relationship with Israel, might be Israeli citizen, or might just outright be a Zionist. If it goes against them, you run the risk of losing your job, even if you speak out. So therefore, many people are pressured not to say anything, even though they know what's going on and it's right. Looking at these two conditions, panelists, how can we best deal with this issue of changing these conditions so we no longer will be in a position where we cannot express what we truly desire, Brother Haki? Well, well, Brother Africa, what, you, what, you, what you're asking is, is very uh, intricate. I mean, uh, how do you force power to concede uh, your right in terms of freedom of expression? 
we understand constitutionally it sounds all it sounds all good and well, you know, that we talk about in terms of our right to you know to freedom of expression. But the bottom line when it comes to actually, you know, using that uh, that freedom of expression, then a lot of times we understand that the freedom of expression is curtailed. In fact it could very well end up in, get, get us in hot water by engaging in freedom of of, of, of expression. Uh, you, you gave two examples. On one, the COVID vaccine uh, mandate, and secondly, the Gaza versus versus Israel uh, uh, war that's you know, well slaughtered, which is currently going on. Uh, clearly, you know, when you talk about the, the, the COVID vaccine, you talk about you know people being uh, coerced uh, to take a vaccine, a, a, a questionable vaccine at that. Uh, so, despite access to information, was saying there's something there's something wrong in terms of particular vaccine and you know scientists and doctors expounding you know the problems with this vaccine and despite awareness of that information coming from the scientists and doctors people weren't free to use that that information to make the best decisions for themselves in terms of declining or taking the vaccine people were compelled to take it and so therefore you so your freedom in terms of your freedom of expression uh in that regard was totally disregarded and the question becomes how do you get people who are very, very powerful you know, to acknowledge that you have that, that, that human right. That is something that has to be struggled for, Brother Africa. That's no other way to put that. Uh, first and foremost, people have to fundamentally understand that you have a right as a human being to express yourself. That's a fundamental human right given to you not by the Constitution, but given to you by, by the creation itself. And it's, it's not a metaphysical argument. That is reality. reality. That's based upon the fact, you know, when we talk about the origin of human beings, we can talk about the origin of human beings without extrapolating, you know, at some point, uh, something had to serve as a catalyst to bring into existence human beings. And that, and, and that consciousness we like to call creation. Uh, so clearly uh, when we talk about in terms of, you know, all us being created equally from this force, uh, that's, that's undeniable. And so I think it's important that we understand that. But, but, but just, you know, dealing with these people in positions of power, to be able to take a stand and say, listen, we will not tolerate that. It's going to take for also amount of organization and principle and dedication in terms of just achieving that. Because without that, they're going to continue to run roughshod over our right, you know, right to, to free speech. Also, when you talk about the situation in Gaza and Israel, you know, one of the things you're absolutely correct. Uh, his, you know, recently, you know, a lot of people have been losing their jobs, uh, you know, because their employers are Zionist or they're pro-Israel. Uh, in fact, it's Sister uh, Sister Gay uh, with the uh, used to be with Harvard University, Dean of Harvard University, lost her job because they said that she wasn't critical enough in terms of preventing free speech on the college campus of those who condemned the, the Israeli invasion of Gaza. And so, when you think about it, and this is well accomplished, very educated, very intelligent sister. And so, when you think about the fact that even she doesn't have a right to freedom of speech, and she has one of the one of, one of the top universities in the country. And she doesn't have the right to freedom of speech. Then, what does that say for the rank and file, in terms of you know, uh, you know, the everyday brother and sister out here, you know, who have things they want to say, but realize that if they say them, that somehow it's going to get them in real trouble. Uh, so clearly, brother Africa, you know, without you know a, a mass movement, without a dedication in terms of your right to freedom of expression as a human being, the bottom line number is going to change. The people in positions of power understand that as this economy deconstructs, one of the things they don't want is freedom of expression. They do not want people to freely express what they feel. They don't want that. And so what they're going to do is discourage that. And they're going to do any and everything to discourage that. If that means locking people up, that's what they're going to do. If that means criminalizing speech, that's what they're going to do. 
If that means preventing people from from employment, that's what they're going to do. They can do whatever it takes in terms of make sure people do not express, you know, what they really feel and what they and what they really sense. And so, in that regard, until people come to the realization that you know, sometimes you have to take a stand, even though when you take that stand. Uh, there are going to be some repercussions for taking a stand, but you take the stand because you're human and you're not going to allow another human being to, 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 uh, to, to treat you as somehow you're subservient to another human being based on, based on some power dynamics. And so I think when people get to that realization, you know, that, uh, you know, that you know, irrespective of the amount of money you got, irrespective of the status that you hold or the amount of money in your bank account, you're human just like me. There's not a fundamental difference between you and me, and I won't allow you to treat me as less than simply because I don't have status, money, or, or any other thing. Uh, so clearly, but that's going to take mass organization, a demand, you know, that things change. So without that demand, the bottom line, Brother Africa, nothing's going to change, and I conclude with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, your response to this situation will many of our people find themselves very powerless as it relates to the coronavirus situation as well as what's going on with the Palestine-Gaza complication in terms of not truly speaking or reacting to their self-interest and their understanding of what is fair and just. Your response, Brother Moses? Well, First of all, let me say um, uh, the coronavirus situation and the Palestinian criticism, critique situation uh, have some similarities uh, in terms of they taking place uh, in in society and uh, just revolve two different issue, two different sides of the issue, and. Uh, how to correctly handle the contradictions among the people, and so you know, I'm not a liberal. If 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 I scientifically come to the conclusion that something needs to be done, then that's what needs to be done. And uh, uh, it's not like you know when people don't take the shot virus, they are they have freedom to to live or die by themselves, but they're also connected to the rest of society. And so it's a herd problem and uh, and we need a scientific approach to it. China was was very strict and and disciplined and, and, uh, and that's just the way it is. And uh, I'm not a liberal. I, 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 I I sympathize with, with, so-called rights and stuff, but one person's right begins where another person's right ends, and so we have to be scientific and um, uh, historical, dialectical, historical materialists and uh, scientists. And so, on the Palestinian situation, obviously, you know, the dictate the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie says that they suppress anything that's not in their interest. And the Palestinians are uh, being uh, annihilated, uh, ethnic cleansing, and that's the that's the government's position. They they support it, and um, you know all this left informed right in essence talk uh, um, doesn't doesn't cover up the fact that they are committing genocide against the Palestinian people. 
And that's the bottom line. So those are my position on those two different issues. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Your response, Sister Eleanor, to the conditions of not being able to act in your own behalf and own interest, looking at how the values played out and companies can force employees to take a shot against that will. And looking at the federal conditions, how people are being intimidated and dictated to take a side or take a position that may not be correct and just. The influence and power of Zionism on our people today. Your response, Sister Eleanor. Well, the the Holocaust that we're witnessing is October seventh is a propaganda nightmare. And uh, people are beginning to be afraid or afraid to speak. But more importantly, many people are so brainwashed until they don't realize that there's a genocide. Because of the gaming systems and the, the, the way people play Grand Theft Auto and all their gaming systems, these people just, these people don't seen the 23,000 or 22,000 Palestinians don't seem real. They're just uh, a number on a gaming system. And uh, Julian Assange demonstrated that with his uh, 13-minute video that he introduced some 13 years ago at the National Press Club. But what is happening is of the liberation of people's freedom from a lack of education, access to information, and uh, still uh, the issue of the vaccine was a real crisis because it was a pandemic, something that affected all of planet Earth. And the United States, uh, with its sanctions against Cuba, for example, is trying to restrict their access to um, tools for inoculating their their citizens. So they had their own vaccine and were able to help the people of Venezuela as well as Vietnam. Um, the use of that vaccine uh, became a big conspiracy issue, and we had some who were allowed not to take the vaccine and others who were forced to take it. But the reality is many were denied the opportunity and millions died. And I can't help but notice that in this country, people in the U.S. industrial prison complex died. People in the nursing home nursing homes died. Uh, the poor children in daycare and in, in group homes died. So uh, in Brazil, Bolsonaro had the poor dying. He was brought to court at The Hague. The United States is exempt from that. So um, Donald Trump wasn't taken uh didn't have to face his crimes against humanity. 
as uh, neither did Bush face his, though convicted in Iraq. So I think, as Brother Moses said, there are two different issues. One was science and the pandemic, and China had was one of the larger populations on Earth, had forced inoculation and also isolation, and they had far fewer deaths. They reported under 50,000 deaths the last I read. I no longer keep up with the corona deaths. Um, But uh, they're kind of two different things. And the Palestinian issue is is, uh, people going without fuel, electricity, housing. 80% of the structures in Palestine have been destroyed. I'm watching children with other children. So it's it's an issue of uh, 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 a holocaust. It's a purposeful murdering of people that's happening in Palestine. And we've seen it happen in Africa with numerous coups that have been ignored. And that's a problem between Europe, uh, Great Britain, and the United States. Uh, Genocides go unknown, unspoken, but this one is before the world's eye. And on January 13th, the world will stand up and speak back to the imperialists. The murderers. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You're listening to Africa on the Moon. We're going to take a rubbish and culture break. We will make our transition when we come back to the theme today. This was full part of two part series. Why they are not discussing this. That's right. We want to know why they are not discussing this. So we're going to take our break and when we come back. We invite you to come in and join us. At three two three six seven nine zero eight four one, and um, we'll be right back. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move.
up there. Yeah. Hurry up there. Yeah.
needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. With our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on the blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masses must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America they say our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the Claire Poise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, 
We who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who knowing that the people will always be free, we understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor, we're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. Thank you. You must welcome back to Africa on the Move. You are listening to an audio footage on Brother Kwame today as he spoke to this old question of the bourgeoisie and class struggle. It ties into our today's theme, why they are not discussing this. That's right, why they are not discussing this. And we would like to give our props to this group who consider themselves black culture. They produce a really interesting video, video on YouTube, and we would like to encourage every person who wants to learn more about Africa, what's going on, and the contradiction, contradiction that exists in et etc. I think they did a very, you know, interesting job to go and support that video and check it out. The, thing with the, the name of the video is Why They Withdrew the UN Mission. Why They Withdrew the UN Mission. And we're going to critique that video and talk a little bit about it uh, tonight as it relates to the first part of our 2-5 series. I will bring in my political panelists. They all had a chance to critique the video. And we're going to talk a little bit about it in terms of why they are not discussing this. So, Brother Haki, as we look at the ongoing struggle in Niger and looking at the video, they raised many really interesting points. Just in terms of generality, I would like to just have your general take on what you took from this video. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Yeah. <clears throat> I think uh, General Colonel Gorta of uh, Mali did a very interesting thing. Uh, He did something that was unprecedented for African leaders. He actually confronted Western powers. Uh, There was a situation in which, you know, the UN uh, troops were hesitant to leave Mali. And, you know, after many discussions in terms of asking the UN troops to leave Mali, uh, Colonel Gorta said, okay, I, I pursue a different strategy. He, in turn, approached the, 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 the Wagner Group, uh, is a, is a, is a, is a uh, military uh, outfit out of, out of, out of Russia, uh, to confront, to collectively confront the U.N. troops in terms of the, the, the necessity, in terms of leave, leaving uh, Niger, I mean, Mali soil. They left. They left. But what is interesting about that, though, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the reason why the uh, U.N. troops there in the first place, and according to Prime Minister Maga, uh, the UN resolution back in 2013 was signed. Um, well, actually, they mandated the UN troops into Mali in 2013 to end the war in Mali. But here's the clincher. Here's the, here's the catch. But once the peace of, once the peace was achieved and peace accord was signed, the mission of the UN troops was changed to remain in Mali, so-called to protect the peace. So clearly, uh, the, 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 the focus on terms of what's, what's the interest of Mali 
wasn't really driving motivation. There were other motivations in terms of why the UN, a piece piece of UN troops, uh, were there in the first place. And certainly, one of the things historically, when we think about in terms of some of the uh, uh, some of the games that were being perpetuated against the the, the Malian Malian leadership of of the Foreign Minister Diop, uh, he interestingly a couple of years back, he made a profound statement in which he said that. Um, uh, France was guilty of providing weapons and logistics to the rebels, the so-called people that the that the French were fighting against. Uh, but he was, they were providing uh, logistics and weapons to the to the rebels. And so he realized that their 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 their, their strategy that has nothing in terms of the interest of Mali it had more to do with cultivating as much violence, much chaos, and the destabilization of the country of Mali. And so, therefore, there's all so there's been this awareness that, in fact, that UN troops are not there in terms of the interest of Mali, but the interest of the West. And so, I'm glad to see that Colonel Gorda, you know, had the, the the audacity to say, "Listen, you know, enough is enough. We have sovereignty over our state. We ask you to leave, and you're going to leave." And he confronted them with the Wagner Group, and they they left. So that was, a, I think, as a very plus. I mean, that is very courageous. I think certainly we need more African leaders who who were willing to take a stand to the West. Enough is enough, and to search your your your, search your your you know your um your your um your territory uh, your territory integrity. So clearly, brother Africa, I I think that just in terms of summing this all up, I think uh, Colonel Gorta did a very good thing. I think as a result of him doing that, I think it's going to have a a a, a comprehensive impact on other African leaders throughout the Sahel uh, section. Of Africa, and I conclude with that. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Moses, what did you take in general from this video? Your take on why the withdrawal of the UN mission from Nigel, from Mali? Yeah, well, the Sahel countries are the foremost. Francophone countries or whatever, uh, all uh, becoming more conscious these days. That's the Bikita Bissar and uh, Niger. And uh, we see Mali uh, ex- ex- expelling the UN troops who, who are up to no good ultimately. Uh, and uh, they're taking control of their political economy. And a step towards more independence, uh, self-determination. Uh, it's a good thing, and so we support that that movement. Uh, I just leave it right to the point. Thank you. And Sister Eleanor, your take on the video in terms of why the withdrawal of UN mission from Mali. The one thing um, both of the analysts mentioned was the fact that the Mali leadership asked them out. And when they got no response from one, he went above that. The reason the U.S. and the Europeans are there is because of Mali's proximity to Niger and protecting their financial interests in uranium as well as the U.S. having its largest drone base in Niger. As Moses said, Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, the entire Sahel is waking up. 
they realize the exploitation. But more than that, they realize that their liberation depends on them. And as it was discussed in the uh, video, there was a, a massacre committed by the U.N., allegedly by the U.N. troops of 500 persons. Whether or not that happened, we do not know. But we do know with that, them being gone, the peace has been maintained. With them there, there was suffering and and uh, uh, it was a, a great thing to stand up for one's independence of its people and of its resources. It's a new day across the Sahel. Right now, um, the reason Mali was so important is because they wanted to also stop people from going into Libya because of the global warming and the number of uh, environmental refugees. And so they want to stop them before they even reach Libya because uh, the destabilization of Libya has made it an ideal crossing for the Mediterranean as well as Algeria and other coastal African, Mediterranean coastal African countries. So... uh, Again, it was a quite an extraordinary political move, and uh, it's a new year and a new day in Mali and the Sahel. The European conquerors and imperialists are on their way out something we've never seen before. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haki, you alluded to this earlier around this game that is being trying to be played in Mali when it comes to UN peacekeeping forces, where they stayed in the documentary, which I thought really interesting. I'd like to get your take on it in terms of how Europeans um, use words and change the language of things to suit their interests. Earlier, the UN Peace Force supposed to be in a peace force to um, stop the war, but they wanted to change the narrative from stopping the war to the so-called concept to protect the peace. I don't know what that means to protect the peace, but that's what they changed the narrative to. And when we talk about that, how do you explain the importance of this change and how Africa continued to be played by the West? when it comes to their jargon. Here they're supposed to stop the wall and they want to change the man to protect the peace. What that really means to protect the, protect the peace? But these are the kind of games you see they play when it comes to in countries. Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, 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 well, <laughs> it, it is interesting, Brother Africa. You know, the peacekeepers, the UN peacekeepers have been in mind for over 10 years. We talk about a total of 15,000 troops. Now, the number of troops were up to some uh, speculation because officially they've been saying there were only 13,000 troops, but it turned out in in, in all actuality there were actually 15,000 troops, you know, uh, operating in the the country of Mali. Now, what is interesting, you know, when Prime Minister Marga, you know, when when he stated that in 2013 uh, the the, the U.N. agreed to send peacekeepers to Mali, specifically with the specific purpose, uh, to prevent to stop the war 
into forming peace in Mali. Well, you know, eventually peace was restored to Mali. And, but unfortunately, as you alluded to, Brother Africa, the mission, uh, the, the tenets of the mission were changed. It became from stopping the war and, and, and stopping the war and bringing peace to Mali to uh, protecting the peace. Now, when you talk about protecting the peace, I mean, you know, that is just a lame, uh, lame justification in terms of continually remaining in Mali because there was no mandate. There was no mandate. Because when you say you protect the peace, you can't protect the peace because the peace has already been restored. So there's nothing to protect. So this was just a play on words in terms of justifying the continuation of the UN troops there in Mali. And they're not there because they give a damn about the country of, of Mali. Like I, like I alluded to before, they were there specifically in terms of fomenting violence, a lot of chaos, and destabilization of the, of the Mali continent. In fact, you know, one of the things when we talk about in terms of the, 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 the practice in terms of destabilizing Africa, one of the practices the West always use is that they always come in the guys that were here to help you. And in fact, once they're in there, once they're in there under the guise of help, then they foment, then they, they facilitate, you know, all kind of, of chaos by implementing all kinds of strategies which are geared toward not only to destabilize the country at large, but to turn the people against its own government. And so this has been a long historical process in which, you know, Western leaders continue to engage in this kind of strategy uh, to the demise of African states. So, um, so we're fortunate that Colonel Gorda, uh, along with Foreign Minister Diop, who understand the nature of the beast and have moved, you know, most specifically to put an end to this kind of, to this kind of game plan and to say, listen, we assert our, our dominance in terms of, you know, our, over our foreign space, and uh, you know, what we want to do, we got to do in terms of maintaining the integrity of our foreign space. Uh, you know, of, of our countries. And so, so given that reality, I think one of the things is that, you know, um, you know, aside from setting a positive example in terms of what could be in terms of Africa, uh, Mali is always way in terms of achieving great things because one of the things that's woefully been lacking in terms of Mali is the whole struggle around self-determination. In fact, much of Mali policy, much of economic policy specifically, was designated by the West. Now Mali is in a unique position in which to, they can establish you know, not only foreign policy, but economic policy to the interest to the, to the interest of, of the Malian people. And so clearly what Colonel Gorta gave was a very good thing, and certainly we would hope that more and more African leaders would say, listen, enough is enough. You know, the game is over. We understand the game that is being perpetuated against us. We're not going to play anymore. Pack your bags. Get out. So we'll wait and see. But I'll conclude with that. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Moses. Just would like to respond to one of the points that was interesting in that documentary, um, why the withdrawal of the UN mission by black culture was that they stated that they could not find out what the peaceful the peacekeeping force has done for Mali since they've been there. But one of the things they surmised was that the reality was this peace force were playing a role to create conditions so they could stay that. Other than getting rid of these so-called targets, they will create conditions so they continue to exist to justify them staying in these countries. And this is the tactic they have used also throughout um, Africa and various other countries. Just your general response to that method of being like a chosen horse, saying you're coming to help someone, but really you're trying to undermine that country. 
your response to that scenario, Brother Moses, that they surprise that these peacekeeping forces, just like they do in Haiti, is really there to perpetuate the problem so they can stay there and justify it. Your response, Brother Moses. I think that's a correct analysis. Uh, they perpetuate the situation in order to maintain themselves in the situation and continuously getting paid and uh, just occupying the country. And so we have to see that, you know, we have to be opposed to that when for Kenya going to Haiti and, uh, you know, these, the situation is we have to support self-determination for the people and uh, internal problems uh, must be handled internally. And uh, I don't, I don't think the UN has any place in in this in those situations. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses and Sister Eleanor. As we talk about the thing, why they are not discussing this? Why they are not discussing issues like this? Not only the media in general, but what about the black, the so-called African media? Why these kind of issues and what's going on is not being discussed? Your response, Sister Eleanor. Um, I think all of the analysis before myself have been correct. Um, part of uh, fascism and a, and a developing fascist community and communities is to... Uh, Align yourself with people who tell like stories. Truth no longer matters. And uh, it was uh, if it, the uh, the relationship that Russia and China have had with Africa has always been one of political struggle and liberation for for since the forties. Um, so really the UN has no place in Africa. It has not been a liberator of Africa at, uh, as far as we have seen. Uh, uh, it has not empowered Africa, its infrastructure, nor its economy. The, uh, if the UN were doing its job, the um, the African Franks, the CFA, or I forget the correct acronym, forgive me, uh, would not be in use in 14 countries because it economically destabilizes and undermines African economies on its face. But this has not been something that the UN has focused on, on the genocide in Palestine, it's not focusing on the genocides and the coups that have happened throughout Africa in the last three decades. And uh, the idea of Kenyan Swahili-speaking people going to Haiti is is ridiculous. It's more of how we pit, how we're pitted against each other. Africans are pitted against each other. And uh, Haiti 
we must not forget Haiti, for example, was the first liberated African country, though it's not on the continent. But this, 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 uh, back to the Mali and the removal of the troops one step forward. The next will be to remove the drone base and the French bases in Niger. That's the first step. Uh, the first step was Mali for Burkina Faso. Now, Mali. Next, Niger. But I, I guess we shouldn't forget the the Congo either. So it's a new day, and uh, liberation and revolution are on their way, and it's an economic and political reality as the people become more aware of what's going on in the world around them through social media and other mechanisms. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haku, again, your perspective on why they have not discussed this as the Mason was one in Mali, not only from the established Western media, but what about the media that is owned and controlled um, by Africans and non-African uh, people? Why this is not getting this type of discussion and attention? Brother Haku. I'm sorry, Brother Africa, you're breaking up. Say it one more time. Yeah, I just want to respond to why they are not discussing this issue that is going on in Mali. When we talk about the test and these issues that are going on, things will black out, not only for the West, but even from the so-called African media and the media to the left. What is your surmise of why the lack of um, to these important issues that are taking place in Mali, Mali and throughout Africa in general? Well, brother Africa, you know when you when you when you got a uh, a disinformation campaign uh, running uh, as the West has been doing for a very long time in Africa, uh, one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want certain information to get out. Information, particularly information that pertains to the empowerment of a people, information that pertains to confronting an adversary, information that pertains in terms of being assertive, information that pertains to self determination. Those kind of things you don't want to paint African leaders as being indicative of those kind of attributes. Uh, so you must rather paint African leaders as some being docile, uh, uh, indifferent, uh, you know, uh, unclear in terms of their mission as a president. So you want to get that kind. You want to create that kind of sentiment. Uh, so what happens when you talk about the situation in Mali and you talk about you know Colonel Gore to taking the kind of stand? Then it sends the wrong kind of message. Then it says that this whole notion in terms of being you know, to being to be to being afraid of to 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 uh, to shiver at the thought, you know, of of, of Western intervention. Uh, that kind of that kind of perception is not being doesn't it doesn't serve the interest of, doesn't serve the interest of the West in terms of promoting promoting a, a a perception that African leaders are willing to stand up against overwhelming pressure. And so, uh, so it's understandable why this kind of information is not commonplace. It's not. In fact, if, if, if we have to make a conservative effort ourselves in terms of trying to find this information, and we have to we have to scan papers throughout the world in terms of accessing this kind of information because we understand a lot of information is fundamentally is blocked, you know, by Western Western media, and also I think one thing that I have to point out in terms of the role of propaganda, you know, we, you know, one of the things we we got to be very very clear on, you know, we 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 can say a lot of things and we can make a lot of points, 
But if they're not backed by historical proof, or then it's just it's just disingenuous. Uh, so we have to understand that you know, simply to say things simply because it sounds right, or uh, we even though historically or even just in terms of politics, what you're saying is inaccurate. Uh, we got to be very careful not to do that, uh, because we we we, we inadvertently we give crude crude credence uh, to those powers that want to keep our people ignorant. And so we got to be very careful how we handle this, and simply to say things simply because we want to say those things so they feel uh, uh, somehow uh, uh, in, somehow right to us. Uh, we have to understand that uh, not what it's all about. It's all about dissemination of real information and not what we feel or what we think based upon our own particular biases. And 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 when we empower, and when we empower, you know, the the adversary. By dis- dispelling, I mean by by disseminating information that's not true, or we do a real big disservice to our people. And so, for those African leaders who disseminate this notion in terms of that we're all pliable, that we all go along with whatever the West wants to do, that uh, we're simply uh, 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 cogs in the wheel, and so no matter what the West asks us to do, we'll do it. When they disseminate that kind of message, it sends a clear message to the world that there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of African leadership. In that regard, why should we be concerned about what's happening in Africa if African leaders themselves are complicitous in the kind of atrocities that inflict in Africa? Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, so Western leaders have a, a, a vested interest in showing only certain information is pervaded, particularly when it comes to Africa and African leaders. And so, therefore, Colonel Gorda's uh, actions indicate that, you know, Sister Eleanor said, there is a new uh, there's a new sheriff in town, and that they don't want to disseminate that message that there's a new sheriff in town. So that would explain adequately why, you know, there's this, this, this blockout or information pertaining to what's going on in countries in the Sahel section of Africa, in particular, uh, Nigeria, Burkina Faso, and Mali. Uh, so that's my position on that, Brother Africa, and I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haiti. Yeah, listen to Africa on the Move. We're going to take a rubber short concert break, and when we come back, we'll make a few announcements, and we'll have our political panelists and analysts to give our final thoughts on part one as related to today's theme, why they are not discussing it. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon.
small r, small o, small b, or you can zail, and you can zail it to African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. Remember, where there are economic dependencies, there can be no freedom. We need your help, and please support us and spread the word and help us build this institution. Um, and if you have any organization, any movements, revolutionary movements, and progressive movements, you'd like to come on and share your struggle with our listening audience and the rest of the world, this platform is for you. Please just email us again at African on the move to at gmail.com. We are here for you. And remember, we say without information, our people cannot think. And well organization, they cannot think clearly. So we definitely want to encourage everybody who are not in the organization to get into organization because organization is the weapon for the oppressed. We must be organized. When you're not organized, you can't even think clearly. So those are our announcements for today. What we're going to do right now, we can close off part one of this program. Why they are not discussing this, and we would like again thank all of those who produced the documentary from Black Culture that is titled "Why They Withdrew," why the withdrawal of the UN mission, why the withdrawal of the UN mission. Please check out the video; it's worthy, it's good work, and we like to support our brothers and sisters who are doing good work particularly to move us forward politically. So on that note, we can go back to our political panelists and analysts. They have been in the seat. They have been taking the heat. And they decided they're going to stand behind it. So we've got each one of them two minutes or less to make their closing statement for today's program. We'll start with Brother Moses. The closing statement, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. It's been a pleasure to be on tonight. Uh, certainly there's been some deep analysis, uh, some scientific understanding that's taking place, and we support that. Uh, we have to look forward to the future. Uh, the future is bright. We have to recognize the injustice anywhere. It's a threat to justice everywhere. I believe there was a person, uh, I can't remember his name, famous person said, they came for the Jews, and I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't support them. They came for the for the trade unionists, and I didn't support them. You know, they came for um, other people, and I didn't support them. And when they came for me, there was no one to support me. And so that's with that in mind, we have to struggle and and uh, support each other and recognize that the injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contributions to today's program. We're going to sit to Illinois, two minutes or less. Your final thoughts. Thank you, Brother Africa, for having me on the show, and thank you for another wonderful show. And as Brother Moses said, they came for the trade unionists. They came for the Jews first, the trade unionists. Then they came for the communists. And then when they came for the next, there was no one. Uh, Something wonderful did happen also this week. Uh, The president of South Africa has uh, asked for the indictment of Vincent, of, of Netanyahu, 
at the Hague for the genocide of the Palestinian people. So that may be a blackout here in the United States, but it's something that's happening. And um, that is a, uh, a wonderful thing. Again, thank you so much for this deep analysis of this steering question. And we see how much the resources and labor of Africa, how dependent Europe is on these resources. Germany now is trying to expand its military, but not to fight Russia, really, to occupy Africa and its interests because it was solely reliant on Russia for energy. And now it needs a new source of resources. So we need to keep our eyes open and look at what's going on around us. And I'm so grateful to the people of Mali, Burkina Faso, Viva La Raza, you know, and thank you again, and Happy New Year to our audience here in the United States and abroad. Thank you again, Brother Africa, and to our the fellow panelists for such an exciting show and informative. Thank you, sister. Thank you, sister Eleanor and Brother Haki. Your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, uh, Brother Moses, you're talking about uh, Pastor Martin Moeller. Uh, he was the one who made that made that comp- made that uh, that statement. In any event, uh, you know, you know, you know, as you know, uh, people were witness to tonight. Uh, one of the things that when we talk about the role of propaganda, you know, we have to be very, very careful in terms of not the similar information that we were spoon fed, you know, by the media. Uh, the media want us to think in a specific kind of way, and so therefore, the kind of information they disseminate is not necessarily truthful. But geared, to, geared toward making us think a certain way. So we, as revolutionaries, have to be very, very careful, you know, not to uh, not to fall into that trap. Uh, you know, and certainly one of the reasons why, you know, I, I think when we get into uh, uh, this question of, 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 of propaganda, I think what is important is that we have to start looking at the question in terms of economics, because no matter how much they try to deceive us in terms of economics. Deceiving us in terms of economics become a bit more complex, much more difficult to achieve. So once we understand the rudimentary nature of economics, then for them to deceive us using economics becomes extremely difficult for them to do. And so, therefore, I encourage people to, to take the time to, to, to learn as much economics as they possibly can because it's only through economics do we see firsthand clearly you know, how the society operates. See, they can deceive us with words, but they can't deceive us with economics. They can tell us everything is great, but then we can go back and look at the economic indicators and we can say, wait, whoa, 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 if things are great, then certainly when you talk about unemployment, certainly when you talk about, you know, you know high interest rates, certainly when you talk about, uh, when you, talk about um, you know, uh, uh, asset prices decline, then certainly what you're saying to me is that things are not great. And so, therefore, you can't deceive me with that kind of deception. So, clearly, economics is the key, and I encourage people to learn as much as you, you possibly can in terms of economics. Because the one thing we have to understand, economics is not as intricate, it's not as complex as they want us to believe. They want us to believe that only the ruling class are capable of internalizing and understanding economics. But certainly, once you get past the words or the concepts, 
Now, economics is very, very simplistic. It's nothing complex about it at all. It's a simple question in terms of getting past the rhetoric, getting past the concepts which are designed or articulated in a way to deceive people, to make them think that it's something that is more complex. It's just simply too complex for, for people to comprehend. So I encourage people you know, to, 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 to master that, that economics because that is the key. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix, you know, because one thing is very, very clear. When we talk about the unraveling of this, this economy, uh, we, are, we are under no illusions. You know, recently, they talked about in terms of the decline of the, of, of the dollar in terms of reserve currency. Increasingly, even Europe is rejecting the dollar. And increasingly, as big countries grow and bring along other countries, the tendency in terms of getting rid of the dollar totally uh, is growing leaps and bounds, and that's going to create real problems economically for the United States. And so what we do have to do as a community here in America, we have to understand the reality in terms of what's on, what's on the table, what's on the horizon, uh, and understanding that given the fact that with the decline of the dollar, uh, because the dollar decline as reserve currency is, 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 is decreasing, uh, then we have to understand that the, 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 benefit, the, the impact of that decline of, of dollars abroad it's going to directly impact what goes right on right inside this country. So when we talk about scarcities and we talk about the difference, difference between the have and the have nots, all of that is going to become increasingly more worse. And we have to understand the reality and be prepared for whatever comes up, comes at us down the road. Because what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to simply tell people that the problem is not the economics. The problem is that it's people you know who are quote unquote uh, you know who, who who reject the American way. They're not going to tell you that. The fundamental issue is one of economic fallibility in which uh, people in positions of power have made decisions to ingratiate themselves economically by the process to destroy the economy. They're not going to tell you that. So we have to fundamentally understand that and be prepared for whatever comes down the road. Having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki. You do the same to all our panelists, to all our listening audience, friends, and supporters. We remind you to come back and join us next Sunday on the 14th as we continue to speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We'd like to remind you that, remember, Pan-Africanism is the key. It will set all African peace. Let's get organized and fight for the total liberation and unification of Africa under a scientific socialist government. Until the next time you're listening to Brother Africa, you're going to continue to let you travel down the road of liberation as we play some music, some sweet, sweet sounds of liberation. This has been Africa on the Moon, and we will continue to strive to go forward, backward, double, and we'll see you on 14th of January, 2024. We thank you for tuning in. Scatters and hopes it goes.
support system I can't live without him The best thing since sliced bread Is his kiss, his hug, his lips, his touch And I just want the whole world to know About my black brother I love you And I'll never try to hurt you I want you to know that I'm here for you forever true Cause you're my black brother, strong brother And there is no one above you I want you to know that I'm here for you forever true He's misunderstood Some say that he's up to no good Around the neighborhood Before your information A lot of my brothers got Education, now check it, you got your Wall Street brother, your blue collar brother, you're down for whatever, chilling on the corner brother, your talented brother, and to every one of y'all behind bars, you know that Angel loves you, my black brother, I love you, I'll
Good move. 